CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday, Hash friends. You are watching us on Coindesk TV. We got the head sway going for the people who are listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey, Zach Seward, and Will Foxley are here as always. And we're going to chat through some fun uh, stories today. Zach, what do you got? This one's not so fun. It's a little bit uh, wild, but <laughs> let's get into it. Hey, journalistic impact. It's fun. I don't know what you're talking about. So this story <laughs> is about the Macalinao brothers, prominent developers in the Solana space who were revealed not long ago to have something like 11 or 12 assumed identities who are also doing projects on Solana in what sure looked like a scheme to boost the appearance of activity in the Solana DeFi ecosystem. So they had a VC firm. It looks like the VC firm has severed ties with Ian and Dylan. That is the news that was shared yesterday on the heels of this big report from Danny Nelson and Tracy Wong just some weeks ago. So the big question here is anonymity versus deception versus whatever. Reputation is still a foundation of the crypto economy. And when you run afoul of some people, repercussions happen. I think that's what's happening here. And I think there are some interesting conversations around sort of the state of anonymity and whether or not anonymous teams can be trusted. So I'm going to throw this to Will for his initial thoughts on an update to a pretty big story from a while back. Huge update. I mean, these are the bros who raised 4.5 or half of the $4.5 billion that was in the DeFi ecosystem by fake pumping it, right? Like they enabled this whole system to develop that was previously not there just by understanding that you could put tokens into one system and then stack more tokens on top of that and then stack more tokens on top of that. And before you have it, got like a whole little eco DeFi system that's really not true at all. Shout out to Danny Nelson, shout out to Tracy Wayne for figuring this out because it is really important for all these ecosystems to have accountability. Zach, I think you nailed it. Like the anonymity aspect of this is really important, right? Like when do you call out these people and how do you do it? In this instance, it makes sense, right? They have a $100 million fund. That is a lot of capital. That's a lot more money than we all have. They were going to deploy that into a lot of projects and they had a pretty shady history of interacting with projects, right? You know, 11, 12 plus identities that we know of. 
used to deceive people to actively build out their ecosystem? How many tokens do they launch? Where are those tokens now? Who bought those tokens? Are those people wrecked because of the behavior of these two? And yet they were supposed to be entrusted with this VC firm. I'm also interested to know about the VC firm itself. Like, did they, were they asked to leave? Did they leave voluntarily? Did they just resign and walk away? Doesn't really seem to be a lot of details on that. We might not ever see those details. At the very least, I think I am glad that they stepped aside because it's not good for the entire ecosystem to have these two characters involved. Jen, to you. Yeah. When it comes to pseudonymity, I think as we move forward, as there's more mainstream adoption, we're going to see less and less trust around these anonymous and pseudonymous figures, unless they've been able to build a reputation for that pseudonymous name, right? So when I read the story, I thought about Do Kwan. When this whole Terra Luna thing exploded, we found out that Do Kwan had a pseudonym, had launched an algorithmic stablecoin. It had failed. We've spoke about it on the show. And, you know, if people would have known that, if that was disclosed, maybe they would have treated this project and treated Do Kwan a little bit differently. And so I think as we move forward and we think about trust in the system and that transparency that we advocate for, the pseudonymity, I don't know. I don't know if people will be able to act in these pseudonymous roles as much as they were able to before. But Will, I think, did your hand go up or was that Zach? It's hard yeah. in the box. You're oh, right. Okay. I know the box is limiting. I'll add one more thought and then hand it off to Zach. I think you're totally spot on there, right? Like you do have this claim to pseudonymity if you want to be in the shadows and operate there. But if you are going to start malpracticing and hurting people, I think then there's a good chance that someone's going to start to figure out who you are and identify who you are. There's some really good actors out there who are pseudonymous. Banteg is one that just comes to mind. First of all, he's like in the, uh, gosh, blinking on the top of my head, DeFi community writ large. And he's been a good actor for like two years now, and no one's really had an interest in like revealing who he is. Then you have these other characters who are shady, and people are going to try to figure out who you are. The ethics of it are really tough, and Coindesk has written a ton on this subject since being pseudonymous is such a part of being in Bitcoin. It's really hard to know like when to reveal somebody or not to reveal somebody. In this instance, I think it fell on the correct side because they're obviously scamming people, hurting people and even raising money just to benefit themselves. Zach, to you. A lot of interesting conversations around pseudonymity in a system that is pseudonymous by design. But when it comes down to it, deception is usually a bad way to go. And I think probably what's happening here is just a recognition that, hey, pseudonymity is one thing, deception is another. And business relationships can and probably should be terminated over what is thought to be deceptive practices. And I think that's probably what we're seeing here on the heels of, again, this big scoop from Coindesk. But we're going to change gears. We're going to talk about some other stuff, maybe some more fun stuff. Jen, do you have a topic? Okay, so I don't know if everyone watching the show knows, but this week was Sin Week on Coindesk. So all the best sex, drugs, rock and roll stories as they relate to crypto. Joining us now, we have a special guest, Cheyenne Ligon. She's going to walk us through her article, Can Crypto Save the Cannabis Industry? I think it's really interesting, right? The cannabis industry and the crypto industry have a lot of interesting parallels. There's a lot of regulatory opaqueness. And I, I can speak to the regulatory opaqueness in Canada. So I used to write for a cannabis culture magazine. And when we were working with cannabis companies, when it came to advertising, they had in-house counsel, just like a lot of these crypto companies do. And they were just making their best guess based on all of the really gray areas in the regulatory climate. So a lot of, a lot of these companies were saying, well, you know what? According to regulation, this isn't 
Like, we don't actually know what's going on. So we're going to do this and we can deal with the repercussions. It feels very similar to how crypto companies operate. Maybe you can help us unpack. Yeah, it, it is very opaque. It, it's the struggle that the cannabis industry is facing is very similar to what the crypto industry is facing in a lot of ways. And, you know, something that my colleague Sage and I wanted to look into when we wrote this story was, you know, there's a lot of talk in the crypto industry that crypto can save the cannabis industry's problems. And we just wanted to know whether that was true. And honestly, it's largely not. I want to yeah, focus in on that. I mean, you, you know, I think a lot of these businesses are forced to accept cash because of federal uh, banking laws relating to the cannabis industry. Why hasn't it clicked? Because it seems like a no brainer. It's something that advocates of the crypto industry specifically have pitched for a long time. As it relates to your reporting, what are people in the cannabis industry saying as to why it hasn't been the savior that some in the crypto industry have proposed it to be? I mean, I think it's just unfortunately right now a, a pretty bad substitute for cash. Uh, and you know, something else that we heard a lot when we were talking to lawyers and dispensaries and other people operating in the industry is, you know, the cannabis industry is under such regulatory scrutiny, a lot like the crypto industry is. And I think that there's a lot of hesitancy to engage with another industry that's also perceived to be under a lot of regulatory scrutiny. It's like two bad kids hanging out at recess, you know, You're, the teacher's going to pay more attention to you. So, you know, is that fair? No. And, and there's a lot of lawyers working to kind of dispel that stigma, but it's a stigma that's been around for a long time since the Silk Road. And, you know, there, there's also a lot of other issues that make crypto unattractive to a lot of small business owners, volatility, um, the risk of capital gains taxes. Yeah, it's just it's not a great substitute for cash. Just to jump in there, great reporting on this, Cheyenne. But the one thing that came to mind was stable coins, right? Like, why can't I go use Tether or USDC or something to go buy my weed and call it a day, right? Just walk in, scan a QR code, walk out with my my joint or whatever I want. Seems pretty simple. On one level, though, it's like it's not, right? Because a lot of people are not onboarded onto these stable coins. And then even like moving money out of these networks is really difficult. So you might get out away from the volatility of crypto tokens, but you have an issue with people not having stable coins in the first place and then getting out of the banking system. Did you talk to anyone who is involved with stable coins or did you look into it at all within this piece and like come to any understanding about if this could be like a potential solution in five to 10 years? Stablecoin payments specifically? You know, we talked to a lot of dispensaries and there are some dispensaries that do accept crypto, but the ones that we talked to were not accepting stable coins. That doesn't really seem to be a focus. And that could just be because, you know, as much as we talk about stable coins, you know, as crypto reporters, it hasn't necessarily made its way to small businesses across the country. And, you know, I think that the distinction between stable coins and something like Ether or Bitcoin is, you know, it's it's more lost on mainstream audiences than maybe we think it is. So I, I did talk to some people that were accepting it, but nobody that has a stablecoin focused program. Cheyenne, the article cites a cannabis company in Washington that had their Coinbase account shut down. We speak a lot on this show about the parallels between the banking industry and centralized exchanges. Did you find that especially when it comes to the crypto industry, they're kind of one and the same, like the companies are facing the same issues they're facing with the banks, with the centralized exchanges? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is something that I think that also gets told to these cannabis companies like, okay, well, you can escape the censorship that exists in traditional finance by coming to crypto. But, you know, if you're trying to do business with a large exchange, that's just not true. 
So like Jen just said, there, there was a, a dispensary in Washington in 2018, I believe, that tried to set up an account to start taking uh, crypto through Coinbase. And once Coinbase figured out that it was a cannabis business, they shut down the account. And when the company asked about it, uh, Coinbase apparently told them, yeah, it's just because of federal regulatory uncertainty. I reached out to Coinbase, but they didn't get back to me. So for all I know, that could still be the policy or it could have changed. But there is definitely still censorship even within the crypto industry. Interesting piece. Go check it out. And all of Coindesk's Sin Week coverage. Great title there. We love to hear it. Cheyenne, thank you for joining us. Lovely to see you as always. We'll talk again soon, okay? All right. See ya. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Grab your tickets. We're flying international for a second. We're going over to the country of Georgia. Talk about an interesting development with Coinbase. Yeah, Zach's crab is back. So don't forget anything, dude. The change of uh, the price of the Lolari, <laughs> the national currency of Georgia, caused some crypto users to cash out bigly, about a thousand. This was first reported by Sebastian Sinclair over at Blockworks. According to this report, price of the Lari was about $290. So, you know, off by a few decimal places, it should have been about $2.90. This allowed some crypto users to notice the arbitrage difference cash out for, you know, 10 times what they normally would have otherwise gotten and then walk away with it. Coinbase has been working with local banks to shut down access to some people's funds and is trying to claw back all this. Apparently, this happened for only a few hours on Wednesday, and it's still ongoing situation with Coinbase saying that it was a non-material amount of lost funds. But yet still, they are trying to get their money back. Zach, going to throw this one over to you. It's kind of a weird story, but it does make sense that things like this could happen, right? You just had a wrong decimal place. And before you know it, a lot of people made a lot of money. Whoops. Yeah, it happens. I mean, crypto <laughs> crypto is, is money. People will go to great lengths to do all sorts of crazy things with money on the internet. And, you know, we see it all the time, right? Whether it's worthless tokens that may one day be of value and you're claiming them with all these different burner accounts to maximize your potential earnings, even though there's no value associated with them at all. Or, hey, there's a decimal in the wrong spot and someone recognizes that opportunity and seizes upon the day. However, I don't think they're going to necessarily be able to uh, harness the bank error in this instance. Looks like some of the accounts have been frozen and they're working to get it back. But hey, that's kind of an interesting little footnote in the annals of crypto history. When some of these bugs come along and sure enough, because there's money attached, it is exploited by people who are willing to go to great lengths to do so. So yeah, credit to whoever saw this and took advantage of it. I don't think it's going to work, but credit to the eagle eyes for anyone in Georgia who was able to uh, seize upon this opportunity for however small that window was. But yeah, crypto do be like that sometimes. Jen, mm -hmm. what do you got? It was wild to me that the entire bank accounts of people who were involved in this were frozen. And maybe Will, you can fact check me here, but the story didn't really mention anything about Coinbase asking these customers for the funds back. It just said, you know, this thing happened and now bank accounts are frozen. And not just the, the funds that were 
taken mistakenly or stolen or taken opportunistically, maybe all of the funds. And so that is kind of scary to me. I think one of the banks mentioned in the article also said, yes, the funds were frozen, but this didn't come as a request of Coinbase, but they didn't disclose who requested that these funds be frozen. And so I think it's an important reminder that whether you have an account on a centralized exchange or you have an undocked wallet that maybe can lead back to you via, I don't know, like an ENS domain being registered to your name or transferring money there from a centralized account, your actual bank account could be frozen. I think that sometimes we we think that regulators and, and governments don't have as much power as they do. And so just be careful. And if you are going to take advantage of something like this, be ready for the repercussions because you may not be notified first. That's my... Yeah, someone always my, has a bigger uh, stick to, to whack you with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some interesting footnotes in this article uh, is that, yes, financial institutions were the first ones to reach out. One quote from the story in BlockWorks is, Hello, we have marked your transactions with Coinbase as suspicious. We're locking all your accounts and cards. Please be aware that Coinbase may request clawbacks of funds. Sorry. So little just nice message there you get. Uh, it's also How do you no, buy groceries? I know, tough. Also nice to notice that, or a good little footnote here is that $4,200 is about the average annual income of a typical Georgian citizen. And if you made maybe $150 on a trade, 10x that, you made $15,000. So, and this could be a lot of money for some people who typically are not uh, garnering that much income per year. So it'd be a tough spot to be there. Luckily, it's only about 1,000 people. But I would say like, if you're in the situation and you netted a trade and you made some money, be kind of tough, just like from a mental perspective. Zach, we'll give it to you before we go to the next story. I just want to go to Tbilisi. I did find my passport. I'm ready to rock. Let's fly to Tbilisi time. Wow, Let's fast. do this thing. All right. You should now read the I book. I feel like I need my passport. Young Stalin. <laughs> he grew up in Tbilisi way back when. All right. That's it. That's all I got. We're changing gears. We're going kind of to the world of NFTs and metaverse. Jen? That's you. We are. Okay. So I know that everyone on the show has always wanted a personalized video from a bored ape. And now you can have that thanks to Cameo. So VC Adam Draper, who is the son of billionaire Tim Draper, put his bored ape up on the video sharing website. And for just $25, you can get advice and insights about your startup and the crypto industry from Bored Ape 9132. Let's take a look at the announcement. All right, Board Ape 9132 here, aka Adam Draper. I am a venture capitalist. I am an investor. I am a managing director at Boost VC. I was the first investor in Coinbase, as well as many other companies. I am so excited through my partnership with Cameo and Aqua for Motion to be able to connect with you. All right, Zach, what do you think of this? Cameo. I always think of the Island Boys when I see Cameo because that was the last time crypto and Cameo really popped off is when everyone was paying the Island Boys to rap a few bars about them and their projects. So that's the level of discourse I'm bringing in the conversation today. Just general observations about Cameo being kind of sus. But hey, that's fine. If this is a way to monetize expensive JPEGs, then so be it. Credit to Adam Draper for finding someone to animate his JPEG into something that is perhaps engaging to some small subset of his audience. So I think that is cool. The fact that you can do this uh, and maybe find a way to make a few bucks. 
That's fantastic. I'm all for the experimentation of NFT times social media mashups. I don't know. Cameo to me, though, pretty silly. I don't know. We'll see. Will, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Wasn't a big fan of this. I thought it locked. I, I just, I just hated it. <laughs> I don't know what was worse, the one with Eminem the other day, or this one. This one well, was marginally worse. It's about, just because it's about the same. It's about the same, right? Just a different size platform, right? Animating yeah, types exactly. of people's NFT personas. You know, one is a rapper, one is a venture capitalist. Yeah. Jen, I don't know. You have, you have, to, you have okay. to weigh in on this one, Jen. I'm going I to rein it in. But before I rein it in, I do want to say that the corn kid is on Cameo. And I think that is awesome. Too bad Wendy isn't here. But we will we'll take it away from Cameo and, and the corn kid. I think that this is interesting when it comes to these bored apes building characters that are fueled by the people who own them. We talk about that a lot, right? And so while this is just kind of, you know, a silly application of that. I think it points to, you know, a bigger trend when people get involved with these projects that have a lot of notoriety. I think we're going to see more board apes come up with their personalities and they're going to be featured in different ways. And they're going to be characters that we embed into our everyday life. I also think that some of these brands that are trying to get into the metaverse, I can see them, you know, paying Adam Draper to make like a five minute video that they can show in their metaverse town hall. I can see them doing something like this. And so this is maybe an interesting way for Adam to make a little bit of side cash. And the money he's making from this, he's donating back to Ocean's Charities. So he's trying to do something good. Zach, I'll give you the last word before we wrap Do you wrap think it'd it be more interesting if it wasn't like a real world identity mapped onto a bored ape yeah. identity? Do you think it'd be mm -hmm. like more cool if it was just like, like some alter cool. ego and then people were like, who yes. is this mysterious thing that is talking yeah. to me? Rather than yeah. being like, you know, with the Boost VC t-shirt on and using sort of his government name through the voice of this thing. I don't know. Could be. I think that's cooler. Yes. I'm with All you. Right. Next time, Adam. <laughs> next time. All right. That's it, it for us today. Uh, it's Friday. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend, folks. Uh, long weekend, I think. We're dark on Monday because that's Labor Day. So go get outside. Have a great weekend. I know Will will be doing that. I know Jen will be doing that. And maybe even me, Zach, will be doing that. So that's it for us. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Check us out on the podcast if you want to do that. And we are glad that you are here. Talk to you later. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.